This episode is brought to you by Feel Free from BotanicTonics.com. Feel Free is a small two-ounce shot made from kava and other ancient plants, and the feeling that it provides is incredible. It is euphoric. It gives you this sense of focus. It reduces anxiety, and it just puts you in a relaxed state in your body. Think of it as a plant-based magical elixir that can uplift your mood, increase your productivity, and give you the energy to do the things you want to do today. There are so many applications for when you can use Feel Free. A few examples are using Feel Free to get into a flow state before yoga, meditation, or exercise. People are using this as a kind of energy drink to go running for miles at a time. And it's also great for socializing. It just makes it easier to connect to people around you. There isn't this kind of background hum of anxiety anymore. It just really melts away. And that also makes it a great replacement for alcohol. So if you're ready to feel free, go to botanictonics.com and use promo code ZIAN40 for 40% off. Again, that's botanictonics.com, promo code ZIAN40, X-I-A-N 40, at botanictonics.com. This episode is also brought to you by Sheath, the underwear of legends. What makes Sheath different is the pouch on the inside. Now this is a game-changing invention that completely revolutionizes the male undergarment. These are the most comfortable underwear I have ever worn by far. They've got amazing designs and styles, super comfortable fabrics. My favorite is the bamboo and also the V, which is a long leg athletic underwear that doesn't ride up and it supports you where it matters most. So go check out Sheath at sheathunderwear.com and use promo code TIMEWHEEL to save 20%. Once again, that's sheathunderwear.com, promo code TIMEWHEEL.
All right, we are rolling, and I'm here with my new friend, Matt, a.k.a. Watashi. How's it going today, brother? Doing well. How are you? Doing great. Glad to have you on the pod, man. Um, yeah. Yeah, we recently became friends. Uh, we met at a uh, ecstatic bass event, who uh, I also had one of the founders of that um, event on my podcast. Her name is Glow. And um, it's funny, because when we first met, I don't think either of us knew who either of us were and you were just kind of telling me to park the van (laughs) yeah i was (laughs) on parking duty right you're just like yo park the big ass van over there and i was like okay um but then we got inside and i was wearing my podcast shirt um zine archive and you were like wait i was just listening to that right isn't that what you said or something yeah it was crazy because like i'd heard of time wheel i'd been following time wheel um probably for the past six months or year or something. And I hadn't listened to your podcast before, but I listened, I think it was Aquanimous, who I'm friends with, Nate. Um, He had done your podcast like the week prior and he posted it and I listened to it. And then there you were like a week (laughs) later at this event, my friends were throwing that I was just kind of helping volunteer and help people park and then when we all went inside, I was like, wait, I saw your shirt because it said like something podcast life or something. Yeah, remember the podcast. Time. Remember the podcast. Yeah. And I was like, wait, you look kind of familiar. And then <laughs> turned out to be you. And then, yeah. And then That's we awesome. didn't really talk that much there. And then I think we ran into each other at the uh, Silamathoxin event, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And then... um yeah, and then since then we've kicked it a couple times, and now I've a release coming out on Time Wheel, and lots yeah. of collabs and cool stuff happening. So totally, yeah, it is funny. Um, yeah, learning that you were a musician, and then how much I vibed with it, um, which is awesome. And we actually just today released uh, a mix on Time Wheel um, called Activate, and it's fucking amazing, dude. Um, you've got really a great way of melding all these songs together and kind of flipping tracks and keeping a cohesive vibe you know i think djing is underrated a lot of people look at it like a a very simple it's like oh you just hit play and that's all that's all it is you know what i mean but i i think there is definitely like an artistry to djing even though we don't sit there and make every instrumental sound you know we are playing a track but there's certainly ways to like weave it and remix it live and um the way that you you know kind of um have tracks leading into each other a lot of it is full of art i see i see mixes as an art form for sure um and for the listeners that don't know you know you you do dj uh you create music under the alias watashi and um yeah, I just would love to learn, you know, when did you know that you wanted to become a musician? If you thought back to the earliest times and you were like, that's something I want to do. I want to make music. I want to, you know, be a producer, be a DJ. Maybe it started in a band like it did for me. Um, but just kind of take me down that road a bit of how you, you know, the story of Watashi. Yeah, so for me... Music was always a very, like, personal thing. I didn't really grow up playing in bands or doing it collaboratively as much. It was always, 
I think I started taking violin lessons when I was like five. And then we moved and then I started taking piano lessons, just private, like one-on-one lessons. Um, And I think my parents just always saw from like a young age that I excelled with music and had an interest in it. And, you know, it wasn't like I was some prodigy, like some Mozart, but I, I think there was, I definitely was very resonant with it and gravitated towards doing music. Um, and then, yeah, I started taking guitar lessons when I was maybe eight or nine. And that was a big thing for me because during that time I was just really into guitar. And again, I, I wasn't really playing in bands or anything, but I just loved it. Acoustic guitar, electric guitar, learning chords. Um, and I remember I did when I was probably like around the age of 10, me and a couple childhood friends, we would like jam and I'd play guitar and he'd play bass. And we had another friend that would play like a little shitty drum set. But it wasn't like it, it was just like some kids messing around and it wasn't like great music. But I do remember writing, writing songs and really liking the process of actually writing and creating songs versus just like learning the technical skill of playing uh you know a piano ballad or mozart or any like classic rock on guitar um and then yeah when i was i think 11 i i think when i was 10 i discovered this program online called soundation which is like a digital audio workstation that back in the day i think it's still around um but back in the day it was one of the first like fully online music creation softwares. And Mm. I found that and just, I was addicted to it. It was like, mostly I was just dragging in loops and, Mm -hmm. but there were drum kits and synthesizers and everything. So I was getting the basics of like how to actually create sounds from scratch. Mm -hmm. And then probably a year later when I was like 11, I got FL studio for Christmas and that was a game changer. That's when I just dove in and I was, it was like, Minecraft and making beats in FL Studio were like the only <laughs> things I wanted to do. And other video games too. And I, I I really liked nature as a kid as well. So I was always out like mm-hmm. in the forest when we lived in Maryland, like just catching turtles and snakes and stuff. But yeah, my I think from a pretty young age, music was, it was clear to me that music was like my biggest passion and yeah. um, what I was meant to pursue. Damn, now I know why you're so good at FL Studio, because you've been doing it since you were 10. Yeah. Because <laughs> when we were here in the studio, uh, Time Will Studios, shout out, that's where I'm at right now. Um, but uh, yeah, we were just chilling, and um, you were showing me some tracks you're working on, and you know, when I saw your uh, program open, I was like, God damn, you know, like, there's a lot of stuff going on in there. Um, yeah. It's very well, complex. Was- now I'm now I'm using Ableton Live. Um, that was Ableton. So oh, was I, Ableton. Yeah, yeah. So FL Studio I used um, for about a decade. I used sometimes I dabble in other softwares, but primarily used FL. Mm-hmm. And then I switched to Ableton a few years back, and I think Ableton provides some. It provides a way of creating and composing music that's just more fluid and. Uh, structured and there's a lot better I would say a lot better structure to the program that allows you to finish music more effectively than an FL Studio 
but yeah, we'll, we don't have to get into all the technical for aspects. sure. I yeah. I use Ableton too. I think I'm on an older, uh, an older version, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's epic. So when you're, you know, formulating the idea for Watashi, um, what, what was it that you kind of like wanted it to sound like, or maybe what artists were you potentially inspired by that were kind of hitting, uh, hitting home and, you know, you were kind of saying like, I'm trying to do that. Yes. Uh, yeah. Your mic's good. Okay, cool. I just wanted to, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a good question. So I've been inspired by so many different artists, so many different genres, styles. Um, but the Watashi project came to me back in 2021 at a festival called One Love that I got originally wasn't planning to go to. And last minute, my friends that were basically doing a side stage at the event had booked me last minute because one of their other artists fell out or wasn't able to make it. And I went there and I went before I went there, I remember setting an intention to discover my new artist identity because I was Mm -hmm. feeling very lost. I had a previous artist project that I had had since high school. So probably at that point for like four or five years and it just didn't, I was just very lost in it. It didn't feel like my true identity. I was trying to make a lot of different types of music and fit it into that brand, but I would never be able to finish music. And I always just struggled with the direction of it. And Mm. I went to one love and basically it was basically my first festival. I'd been to smaller rays, but it was my first real festival. It wasn't even huge. It was probably 2000 people. Mm -hmm. Um, and funny enough, Aquanimous Nate was in charge of the whole music lineup for that festival. So oh, wow. a, lot of, a lot of the artists that I work with now and have collaborated with and kind of in that same circle back then were the ones that were putting on and headlining this festival. Um, yeah, wow. So it's kind of funny how those worlds happen to synchronistically re- weave together. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, as far as the Watashi project, I met this Japanese girl at the festival and we were connecting and we'll get into it later on, but I grew up in Japan and this was the first time in a long time I'd like connected with a Japanese person mm-hmm. or just that culture in a sense. And the name Watashi came to me and Watashi, I have it on my wrist here, uh, nice. tattooed on my wrist, Watashi and hiragana. It mm-hmm. means I am, uh, in Japanese and, The idea for it is just to remember that the truth of who I am and Mm. to remember that my music can be anything it wants to be. It's just an expression of my truest self. So um, I know I've gotten a little off topic here, but back to your original question of the inspiration behind the project. um, There's been a lot, but I've made it my mission to create spiritual experiences through sound. Mm. So that is really what I'm trying to do with this project. And I, in return, I'm inspired by a lot of other artists that I've seen do that. And I would say some of the big ones would be like Odessa, Sanaholo, um, Memba, Closey, Troy Boy, 
definitely Skrillex and some bigger artists. But mm -hmm. as far as my sound, I would say experimental melodic bass with lots of cinematic elements, lots of ethnic instruments, lots of tribal grooves, but still retaining like a really catchy, anthemic, epic, feel-good pop element to it to tie it all together. Yeah, that's freaking awesome, man. Uh, definitely resonate with the naming of the self. You know, definitely how I named my artist alias as well was, uh, yeah, that type of self-remembrance of a deeper knowing uh, of what I am. And that definitely came to me through my psychedelic experiences. And as well with my music, I, I'm definitely trying to touch on like spiritual experience as well. Um, so I relate a lot to that. But for you to have that as an intention, you must have at that point had spiritual experiences, I assume. Mm -hmm. um, what were some of those? You know, how, what were these experiences you had that got you interested initially in spirituality? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, yeah, so I guess to, to go back to the start, I think because of my childhood moving around a lot, um, living in Japan growing up, and then also spending some time living in Thailand as well, which funny enough, I'm about to moved back out to Thailand for a few months at the end of the year, which I'm so yeah. excited for. <laughs> um, I think just being exposed to other cultures at an early age, especially Asian cultures and cultures that are just so polar opposite from the Western world, mm -hmm. I think really subconsciously just opened my mind to like the possibilities of reality, the possibilities of culture um, ways of life. And I think in a lot of ways that helped me to, it helped me to have the desire to experience a deeper level of existence. Mm -hmm. And I was definitely depressed a lot when I was younger as a kid, um, and just struggled with my mental health a lot. And I think, um, I think at the point where COVID was happening, where the lockdown happened, um, was one of the lower times in my life. And also at the same time, the time I started experimenting with psychedelics. Mm -hmm. And before that, you know, I wouldn't say, I would say I was on a path of, um, self-improvement, self-development, self-actualization, but mm -hmm. I w wasn't necessarily spiritual. Mm -hmm. And I would say even when I s first started experimenting with psychedelics um, around that time, I was definitely doing it in a in somewhat of a reckless way, just the frequency I was doing it. I didn't really understand um how to approach it properly the way I do now with like, you know, years of wisdom of doing them lots and mm -hmm. being around people that have more experience than me and have given me a lot of insight on the proper way to um, use those substances because they're yeah. very powerful. We all know that. Mm -hmm. um, and then during just during that whole year of 
2020, I had some just some of the lowest, darkest moments in my life. Um, just a lot of just a lot of confusion and anger. And I was just hanging out with the wrong crowd of people. I was living in Vegas at the time, and it was just a very toxic um, environment for me. And at the same time, I was going off into the mountains and just like having these crazy psychedelic experiences. And I think the polarity of that was really bad for my mental health in some ways. But it also led me to ultimately waking up and Mm -hmm. to having the desire to go deeper. And I started getting into doing breath work and meditation and really just like pushing pushing the limits of of how i am able to take back control of my mind and myself and heal myself um Mm -hmm. through those practices and i think that's the beginning of where i started waking up in a sense and then Mm -hmm. I moved to LA at the beginning of 2021. And at that point, I kind of got back into, not back into, but, you know, I it was a different culture and I was definitely in a better environment. But then I got a lot more into partying and other substances sometimes that weren't, you know, the healthiest or most beneficial. Mm-hmm. And then after my first year or so of living in LA, I really started meeting more conscious people and meeting people that would take me to festivals and introduce me to artists that were um, just a really good fit for me to work with and collaborate with and just opened up a whole new world of community and, and in doing so helped me down the path of spirituality and just introducing me to new ways of living and new um, belief systems and new um, philosophies and such. Yeah. Yeah. Um, When you say that, you know, you had some more later on, you encountered maybe psychedelics in a, in a better way, like maybe doing it more responsibly or just being in better sets uh, set and setting type situations. Can you remember any type of like pivotal journey or trip that you had went on that you were like, damn, like shit is going to be different after this. You know what I mean? Hmm. Um, funny enough, I had one of those about two weeks ago. Oh, I wow. Had a, uh, very, um, very intense mushroom trip just by mm-hmm. myself, just a solo trip. Mm-hmm. And I have pretty much the last year or so, I have almost taken a break from substances, not fully, but you know, using a lot, using different substances a lot less than I had the previous two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that I've, I've just gotten a lot more clarity on my path and, and what I want to 
birth into the world and different projects I'm working on. And I've just been like really career focused and driven. And um, I think recently, the last month or two, I'd really been feeling the calling like I'm I'm ready for another really deep, profound trip. And I had I had done another mushroom journey, um, probably two months back. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty profound, but it wasn't quite as deep as I wanted one to be. Yeah. It was more of like it opened me up again to like what I'm looking for and definitely gave me some like powerful um, downloads. But I felt like it wasn't finished. I felt like I had just like kind of pried the door open. Mm-hmm. And then um, this previous one I did like two weeks ago. Yeah, it was it was very profound and I just, I came out of it. Um, it was very much an initiation. Um, I took them late at night and I was journaling a new mantra that I just had for myself, um, that I just wrote probably like a hundred times, just Mm -hmm. constantly just, just writing it as the, you know, the mushrooms were coming on. And then from there, it was just, so many highs and lows i was bawling my eyes out at one point jumping up and down laughing just like just like so much so many different emotions and feelings and i released all this baggage from like Mm -hmm. you know childhood and just other toxic experiences i've had with relationships um negative beliefs that weren't serving me beliefs about like um what i'm capable of or my memory or, you know, just beliefs about things that have been limiting me or financially, um, just different blocks I've been at in my, in my path. Um, and then at probably at 3am when I was fully peaking, Mm -hmm. I decided I was gonna do the cold plunge (laughs) because where I'm staying, there's a cold plunge in the garage. So yeah, I went down and pretty much it pretty much took me like an hour of procrastinating to do the cold plunge i've been doing the cold plunge like pretty much daily for the last three months and i've been doing it you know i do it pretty cold sometimes like 33 degrees sometimes it's warmer um Mm -hmm. but so it's like i'm it's not that i'm necessarily like scared of the cold plunge in fact i've gotten pretty addicted to the cold i love it now yeah um but the intensity of let me tell you like the intensity of this mushroom journey and just facing the cold plunge was so intense and and i just yeah i finally like hyped myself up to do it and i got in and did it and i swear as soon as i got in i looked up at the like roof ceiling of the garage and there's like a fan and everything And my visuals started getting like DMT visuals. Like it went from like, you know, a pretty solid mushroom journey, like getting, you know, pretty good visuals. Um, And as soon as I got in, it felt like a near death experience. Like it really (laughs) did. Like I felt way more than I've ever felt in a cold plunge that like, holy shit. Like Mm -hmm. if I stay in here too long, I'm going to (laughs) die. But so it was, and I'm sure, you know, it was just my psyche, like freaking out, but Mm -hmm. I, I did it. I put my head underwater. Um, 
And I probably only did it for like a minute and a half. So it wasn't that long. But after I did that, like it, I just felt this, I was freezing my ass off for like 20, 30 minutes. I was just like curled up in a ball with a huge blanket over me on the couch, just warming up. But yeah. the, the amount of peace and clarity I felt in that moment was just like, it was just one of the most like peaceful, blissful moments of my life. And totally. yeah, I think it's, I think it's very important to have those deep experiences mm-hmm. when it feels like it's the right time for them and to really respect them. And yeah. I also, you know, I've, I've taken, you know, these substances in many different environments and at events and festivals and with friends and on hikes and nature. And there's so many, like, there's no, I don't think there's any right or wrong. Well, I don't want to say there's no right and wrong way of going about it, but Mm -hmm. with the right experience, I think there is a way to take them and sometimes a benefit of taking them in different environments and scenarios. But Mm -hmm. I think really just setting a space and intention and really preparing yourself and treating it as ceremony is like the most profound and you're going to get the most out of it and come Mm -hmm. out of it feeling like you don't even like, I don't feel like I need to do them again. Like I feel Mm -hmm. good. Like I feel Mm -hmm. like I've cleared a lot of my shit that I needed cleared um, mm-hmm. and I just feel very present and grounded in myself and my mission right now. Yeah. So I love that. Damn, dude. I don't think I've ever done a cold plunge in the midst of a psychedelic journey. You know, I do yeah. love cold plunges. Um, I'm around the 50 to 55 kind of like temperature currently. I can mm-hmm. get in the cold ones, but I have to get out uh, two minutes later or, you know, I, I did yeah. the really cold one once all the way five minutes and it, I don't know. It was excruciating, um, <laughs> but I did feel great after. Um, but mm. I'd rather make it the full five minutes than be so cold. I got to hop out after a minute. So I usually do kind of like a medium temperature cold plunge. Um, but yeah, one thing that came up while you were talking about the different settings to do psychedelics in, there are a couple of terms for dosing that I find helpful um, that maybe not everyone knows, but there's what we call a microdose that's becoming very common these days, which is kind of a subperceptual dose. Um, mm-hmm. This is barely a mushroom. It's pretty much, they say, the size of your pinky, uh, pinky nail um, is, is like the dose of the mushroom. So this is subperceptual, which means it's not going to be coming into your field of awareness really in a dramatic way at all. You can really go about your way, uh, sorry, your day relatively the same way you would normally. You can drive, you can shop, you can do your work, you know, you can converse with people. Um, And then they have, after a microdose, they have a hycrodose, which is a good dose for hiking. Mm. So you kind of, it's, it's more of like a nature a little bit more than a microdose, but not quite a really big dose because you still need to be able to like function and hike and walk and not lose your coordinates. You know, like I've taken too many, uh, too big of a dose, for example, outside in nature before of mushrooms or LSD and literally got lost because my like uh, short term memory just like 
disappeared and I couldn't remember which way I'd come from. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, it's funny because I actually really like that sensation of like, where the fuck am I? Like, wow. Like, I kind of like this though. There's a know? freedom in that. Yeah, there's a, yeah. So I used to kind of say, did you want to go get lost in the woods on LSD? You know, it always <laughs> sounded like a good idea to me. So anyway, so after the microdose, there's the hyperdose, And then there's what they call a museum dose. So a museum mm. dose is slightly higher than a hyperdose, but still not like a big dose because you need to be around people. You know, so you don't want to be tripping too hard. But the museum dose is kind of like where you're going to be in an artistic environment, um, even maybe around music and other people like a lot like a a museum dose can kind of be at a a festival or uh, like a live set, um, a a club, you know, or an actual museum. Um, But you don't want to be like the dude on the ground needing (laughs) assistance. Right. You know, so that's kind of more like a macrodose. So I'm curious what as far as the hyperdose and museum dose, what would you say the um the measurement for those would be? Yeah. I w- if I would just have to like kind of, sp- you know, spitball some ideas, I'd say like the the hyperdose is probably 1 and 2 grams. Mhm. Um a museum dose is like 2 to 2.5, maybe 3 grams. Mhm. And then a macro dose is between three and five grams. Yeah. Um, that's pretty much where you're going to need some privacy. You're going to need potentially a guide, someone to be there with you. You don't really want to do these alone uh, unless you're experienced and you kind of know what's going to happen relatively well. Um, and those are very rare for me. That I very rarely do a micro dose. I'd say I mostly do like the hycro or a micro even. Um, because after a point... You know, I think it's good to get these initiations under our belt. But once you know what's possible with the psychedelics, at least for me, I can take a lot less and achieve very similar experiences. Mm. So Mm. I don't necessarily need nearly as much to get to the same plane of reality, more or less. Um, But for yourself, would you call that you know, how many grams did you do for this experience? So I did technically, I did 50 grams, oh, but they were the wet. wet. Okay. They were wet. So yeah. if you're listening, don't get confused and think it's a good <laughs> idea to take 50 grams of mushrooms because right. it's probably not. So yes, I got these from, um, a friend who is very into, um, biology and he grows um mushrooms from spores Mm -hmm. all kinds of different mushrooms psychedelic um non-psychedelic um yeah and this was some new ones he'd grown and he gave me some to try and Mm -hmm. he's this was actually my first time taking wet mushrooms so he said man yeah he said (laughs) that basically so the 50 grams once it's dried out um, converts pretty much to five grams because they're 90% water when -hmm. they're wet. Um, so they're very, I mean, imagine like a regular mushroom, except regular mushrooms, like, you know, um, whatever type of mushroom that you'd get at the grocery store, typically they're not as wet as these were, like they're a little more dried out, I feel like, Mm -hmm. but yeah, he said also that, 
the uh, a lot of the silicin in them when you're when you dry the mushrooms this a lot of the silicin um basically gets i don't know basically you lose a lot of the silicin mm-hmm. it dies in or whatever in the drying process mm-hmm. so apparently the wet ones are a little more potent than dry ones if yeah. that makes sense but it yes does. i did i did about five grams and i took i started off probably taking three or so and then probably hour and a half into it i took the rest um and yeah i i think i i tend to have a pretty high tolerance um Mm -hmm. for substances in general um and i've taken i've taken slightly more than that before Mm -hmm. um but I think it also, like you said, it really depends on your state of consciousness coming into it too. And just in general, like what you're meant to receive. Like if you're, for some reason, you're not meant to have some big, crazy, profound trip, you might take three grams or four grams and like feel like it's barely hitting. Or you might take um, two grams and have this crazy experience just because your state of consciousness going into it is higher and elevated already. Yeah, dude, I've done the the wet uh, mushrooms as well. And yeah, it was a lot harder to get down hmm. for me because of how just kind of slimy the texture was. Yeah. Uh, you know, I can get I can get mushrooms down dry or wet relatively easy. I, I, I don't have a big problem eating things that don't taste great. Um, you know, like there's a lot of healthy stuff that I eat that just doesn't taste good. You know what I mean? And for sure. or even supplements, you know, like methylene blue, for example, is a supplement I take every now and then. And it, you know, tastes pretty gross, but because of the benefits, you know, I, it's worth it for me. Um, but I only did it that once. And I, I, I don't know if I'd want to do it again. Um, just mm. cause the stomach load, dude, there was so much fucking mushrooms in my stomach. And I only did three grams dried. So that was 30 grams. Uh, yeah. wet but it was still a lot and i definitely threw up <laughs> but somehow even though you eat them if they're in your stomach for a good hour you're still gonna more or less get the effect um yeah it but, was interesting because okay. um i i found them more pleasant than eating the dry ones honestly oh wow when i first took them at the mm-hmm. beginning once i was already like coming they were coming on that was when I I really struggled to get the rest of them down. I really did not want to. And I just had to sit there and be like, okay, we're doing it. We decided we want to go deep and Mm. just kind of force feed myself. But luckily I didn't, I didn't feel that nauseous. And I mean, you know, if you do five grams, you're going to feel nauseous, but comparably Mm. to other experiences I've had, they weren't that bad. Yeah. Have you ever mixed any type of juice, whether it's like orange juice or grapefruit juice with mushrooms? Um, no, but I've heard about that. Um, I, I have a lot of times I've made done like a lemon tech or made tea with the mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, lemon tech is basically you grind up the mushrooms and then you mix them in lemon juice, let them sit in the lemon juice because the lemon juice uh, extracts a lot of the silicin. Right. And then you can pour wa- hot water in it and m- 
probably going to want some honey or some sweetener Mm -hmm. um, and just drink it like a tea. Yeah, exactly. So that's that used to be my favorite way of consuming them. Yeah, that that citrus really. Uh, I don't exactly know the science of why it does what it does, but yeah, it it potentiates mm-hmm. um, psychedelics a lot. Even for uh, sure. MDMA, for example, if you drink a little bit of grapefruit juice with MDMA, it intensifies the journey quite a bit. You know, uh-huh. um, it's something that I'll do probably. You know, MDMA is usually about four, maybe five hours. Um, I'll do it like two hours in, so about halfway. And it'll seem as if I've peaked already, but then it'll take the peak even. Wow. Um, yeah, <laughs> a, little, a little tip for you guys out there. Always be careful, though. You know, um, <laughs> I'm not advising you run off and do these things, you know. But if you do uh, already find yourself in this culture, it's uh, there's a little tip. But... Um, I was going to say something too about how how do you if you had to try and describe the headspace that that you got to maybe even after the ice bath on the mushrooms how, how would you describe what your perception was witnessing you know like hmm. what were you seeing how did the world feel how did you feel so specifically after I got out of the cold cold plunge um like i said my body was just i i i think most people tend to get cold on mushrooms but me especially like i get very cold every Mm -hmm. time anytime i do mushrooms like i could be in a room that's like 77 degrees and feel cold and want to put on like a a hoodie or a jacket or blanket Mm -hmm. or something um so doing the cold plunge which was probably at like I don't know, like 38 degrees. Mm-hmm. I was just freezing. So I I was just like on laying there on the couch, just had a like a thick blanket over me. And I was just kind of laying there like in a fetal position, balled up with my eyes closed under the blanket. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it just felt like immense peace and mm-hmm. just calmness and stillness in my mind where... As I have, I tend to have a very creative and oftentimes hyperactive mind, um, racing thoughts, hard for me to fall asleep many nights just because I'm constantly thinking about projects I have and ideas and for my music or business or just, I just, you know, I think a lot. My mind, and I think a lot of us, you know, um, deal with that. And there's a lot of benefits and positives to that. And there's also some negative aspects. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's the ultimate point of meditation, right? Is to, to find stillness and to, um, to be able to control, control your, your mind and your thoughts um, by letting go in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And yeah. So I would, I would just describe that as like just one of the most peaceful, blissful, um, states of mind, especially for being on mushrooms. Cause usually on mushrooms, my mind is like, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of Mm -hmm. like memories coming up, feelings, emotions, thoughts, um, um, revelations, realizations about people in my life, relationships, all sorts of stuff, the universe, 
Um, but at this point, it was I had had a lot of that previously, like earlier on in the, the experience. And mm -hmm. at that point, it was just like, yeah, just like a very serene, peaceful, mm -hmm. um, blissful state. And mm -hmm. I actually, in that place, got this mantra um, that I've been using a lot when I meditate now, um, which is, I am source, and I choose to mm -hmm. co-create with source. Damn, I love that. That's great. Um, yeah, I, I'm thinking back to one of my earliest mushroom journeys, and this was literally 10 years ago or more. But I can remember this sense of hilarity of existence. Um, mm. For whatever reason, everything was just funny. Like, even the traumas and even my depression that I was experiencing at the time, I just, I just thought it was hilarious. I just thought it was funny. And it was interesting bringing that heart jolly energy into the, into my mind. That's usually, it was usually so unappreciative and uh, mm. ungrateful to be honest. Like the, the, the teen version of me, through to about age 19 or 20, it was, uh, all, nothing was good enough. Mm. And I, and I had so much to be grateful for literally great house, great schooling, great relationships, great friends. I had a, a lot to be grateful for, but I could just find everything that was wrong with everything. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, but when this cosmic hilarity kind of hit, I just remember having the, this laughing fit, that was just so healing. And they say laughter is the best medicine. And I'd almost say that's why to take mushrooms is to, to, to act, to activate the medicine of laughter. You know what I mean? Like it's the mushrooms do stuff. Sure. You know, they change the way your brain is networking and whatnot. Uh, so that you can kind of get out of thought loops, but as well for a lot of people, if you take the right dose and not too much, so you get freaked out this kind of like very, light giggle mood can come on and i'd say that's kind of one of my favorite parts of the mushroom experiences as well as i would say i was having revelations by the second you know and it was just making me laugh harder <laughs> so i don't know there's something about activating the heart energy with particular strains of mushrooms i think i, I was using golden teachers mm. which are my favorite strain of mushrooms i've tried like the penis envy ones and the, a couple of the other ones. And um, those seem very serious. There's like a real serious tone to mm. them. Um, but golden teachers to me always had like a, a light, jolly, uplifting, you know, laugh inducing mood about them. Um, and I don't know. I really like that. Um, do you experience that with mushrooms where you kind of get into these laughing fits? Oh, definitely. I think it's, um, I think mushrooms can be, I think I can become very manic on mushrooms. And I've definitely, um, especially back when I first started um, taking them, and especially like, with less understanding of my, my psyche. And um, yeah, just less understanding about what I was doing. I definitely would get very manic. And sometimes I would, you know, I would, I would be so manic and ecstatic and feel so awakened that 
I would start to think, you know, thoughts that were just a little bit delusional about mm-hmm. like, you know, what I, what I was capable of achieving. For example, you know, I'm a musician and I have very big aspirations for like what I want to birth into the world, what I want to create, the type of career I want to have, like mm-hmm. the shows I want to play. And, and I think, um, that can, you know, it's being an artist in that sense, especially one that's aspiring to take it as far as possible and really um be as successful as as i as i can um in all regards in all aspects of life um that can lead to you know struggling with the with the reality that i'm currently in of like especially back then oh shit, I'm just some broke kid like trying to struggling to make it and hoping that this dream works out to like Mm -hmm. then taking these substances and feeling like, oh my God, like and even listening to my music or whatever and just like thinking like I'm the best ever and I'm going to be the next like big famous huge artist that's making Mm -hmm. millions of dollars and like, you know, the whole thing. And then then I'd come back to my reality and be like, fuck like why am i not there like why like and then that can lead to just comparison and unhealthy you know um unhealthy things and i think um getting back to your question about yeah the ecstatic aspect of it now for me it's like i know i know myself well enough and i know like that i know when i start feeling that come on where it's like okay now my mind's just like having having these thoughts that are that are just not not going to serve me where i'm at now and Mm -hmm. in the sense of in the sense that hmm i'm trying to think how to put this in the sense that of not like closing myself off to like what's possible and what I'm capable of manifesting and creating because I've had some crazy synchronicities and manifestations occur for me, but just, just being ungrounded, I think if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah. And that's, that's the best, best way to put it in the past. They've made me ungrounded. And now I have the awareness to know myself and know when I'm getting ungrounded that, um, that it's, it's just time it's time to go back into the presence and back to my breath and back right. into the beauty around me and to gratitude and just to surrender to like what is and where i'm at and mm-hmm. in surrendering and letting go is actually how you manifest so right. yeah. yeah yeah that state i believe um or at least the thoughts that come out of that state um I believe is called like delusions of grandeur mm-hmm. and it could, and you know, I've certainly experienced it too. You know, when I was having one of my enlightening experiences in the woods, something dawned on me. I was like, am I Buddha? <laughs> I was like, am, yes. am, I, am I Buddha reincarnated? Because like what I'm seeing is what he knew. Like I just knew that mm-hmm. it was like, I had been studying mm-hmm. Buddhism. Um, and probably because I was studying it, it was fresh on my subconscious so that it would 
come up as the subconscious does on psychedelics. And I could see his state of consciousness, his state of enlightenment before my very eyes. And yeah, mm. I, you know, it, while that was very spiritually fulfilling um, and gave me a great kind of like aim for what I, what I now know is possible to achieve, which is you can literally have enlightened perception under the right set of circumstances. You know, the mm. whole, am I Buddha was like a delusion of grandeur because I'm not, mm. I'm Matt. Right. You know, but in that mm. moment I was like, what the fuck? Like, I really feel like that. <laughs> so I got, I definitely know what you're saying. <laughs> And um, so many times, yeah. too, I've had in ceremony, particularly with other people, ideas come up like, dude, we should do this big idea, mm. found this new company, make this movie, something just, just really too big to actually manifest, like, mm. because it takes a lot more energy than it feels like in those moments. Because um, in those moments, you're truly like, fully wide open to 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 source to creation mm -hmm. to yeah. everything to and it feels like you're in some such a higher state of consciousness that it literally feels like you can snap your fingers and yep. have anything yep and create anything and and it's that's the thing though it's such a weird um duality of like that being in that state and having these experiences and waking up and realizing what's possible and then coming back to the um back to the physical world of you know the current culture and reality we live in and realizing like yeah you know maybe those maybe a, a lot of those things aren't possible maybe some of them are possible and but you know, you can't do everything. You can't accomplish everything in this lifetime. So you really also got to be grounded enough to like set goals and plan. Where do I want to be in a decade? What do I want to accomplish? What is really going to like bring me the most fulfillment and um, therefore allow me to provide the most, um, mm -hmm. the most beneficial things to the rest of the world and right. the most value to the world. And, and that's where it gets back to like doing the work and just the day to day. Cause you know, I, I think I was at one point, I was like taking psychedelics multiple times a week mm -hmm. and, and I was so spent so much time in that world that when I would come back down, and I think this is a lot of, you know, people that suffer with substance addictions, mm -hmm. abuse addictions, um, it's that just trying to escape. And I definitely was trying to escape. But the weird thing was, it wasn't like I was escaping into like, you know, I, I mean, I was, you know, using a lot of cannabis, but it wasn't like I was escaping into like, some ketamine realm where I'm just like fully disassociated from the world or mm -hmm. heroin where I'm just blissed out, but I'm like a vegetable. Mm -hmm. It It was like, it was like, holy shit. Like I, I feel like I, that's funny. You mentioned the Buddha thing. Cause I literally remember one time I, I convinced myself, I thought I was Jesus. Mm -hmm. Like I felt like I was, I literally felt like Christ, the Christ consciousness, which yeah. I didn't know that term at the time, but I was like, I felt like I was Jesus and some like mm -hmm. guru, guru and prophet. And I even remember like I sent 
this long ass text mess or long ass like voice message I recorded on this psychedelic trip to a bunch of my friends <laughs> about like all these deep like awake like you have to awaken it's time to awaken to the new all this like shit and they probably like heard it and thought i was like schizo or something they were like like the, yeah. these weren't people that had ever like done psychedelics they were you know just like home just like random homies and stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> i probably like a lot of them were probably like what the fuck is going <laughs> on like this dude is needs some help but um <laughs> But now looking back, it's like, that all makes sense. Like I had to have those experiences. It's having those experiences has led me to get here to this centered, grounded place of being in the process of awakening and becoming my best self and Mm -hmm. creating what I want to create with my existence on this plane of reality on earth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Amen. I love that. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's why we do have to be responsible when it comes to psychedelics and inform ourselves of the, the things that can happen, that may happen, that have happened to other people, because certainly that um, happens to multiple people where they have what's called a messiah complex, mm-hmm. where, yes, I mean, for either this just the journey, uh, or sorry, the duration of the journey you're on, or even for days and weeks, sometimes months afterwards, people can Mm -hmm. truly feel like I am a Messiah, you know? And I think there can be something to be gleaned from that in that just taking on, um, what's the word? The initiative, you know, learning to take initiative as if you actually have something to offer is a positive thing. Mm. Um, Some people don't know what initiative is or proactivity really is until maybe they get into one of these kind of crazy states of, you know, wanting to save the world or whatever it is that they think they can do with their Messiah complex. But um, it's like, that is that why psychedelics need to be treated with respect is there are risks involved. Um, And, you can go off the freaking, you can go off your rocker with these things if you're not using them well. You know what I mean? So we do have to be careful. I always recommend people go to Arrowid. Um, I believe it's arrowid.org and research like your dosage and, Mm. you know, um, positive effects, neutral effects and negative effects of each medicine before you use it. And in fact, read trip reports too, you know, um, to see what other people are experiencing with doses similar to what you're thinking about taking. So, um, but at the same time, when we are able to ground ourselves, able to uh, integrate properly, there is a lot of wisdom um, that we can gain from these experiences that can really help us live more happy, fulfilled lives and do things that matter to us. Um, but I wanted to say as well about how you do have to have like a certain level of reality refinement capability to take um to to learn which missions to take on that maybe come out of a psychedelic experiences and which were maybe just like a fun part of the trip that you don't really have to go do that now you know what i mean Mm. it's like of course we can think of a new tech company that's going to compete with facebook and instagram and it's going to be so much better because we're not going to have ads and 
We're going to see our friends updated and the algorithm isn't going to be all wonky. And it's like, but can you really go develop that app and compete with Facebook Mm -hmm. and Instagram? I mean, you can have the idea, yes. But can a dude with very limited resources seriously do that? I mean, in certain circumstances, if you know how to raise money and you want to devote yourself 100% to that cause, you can do it. I don't want to say you can't do it, but you can only do so many things in -hmm. life and you can't be a touring DJ, a producer, a guy building a billion dollar company and a, a dude, a dad and a brother. There's, you have to pick a couple of things. I like to say three things to do because mm. I don't like to be limited to like, oh, I'm only a musician, so I can't be a yoga teacher. Mm-hmm. I want to be a yoga teacher and I want to be a musician um, and I want to be a filmmaker. But I feel like those are like three things I can kind of juggle relatively well. Um, whereas if you try to juggle too many things, that's just the juggling becomes harder, harder, harder. And as well, we only have a certain amount of energy each day to put toward certain ventures. And if you split yourself into 12 different ventures, each of them are going to progress very slowly. (laughs) Whereas if you put yourself into one, two or three ventures, they'll go quicker than 12 simultaneously, if that makes sense. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. And life is long too. Like, you know, we're, we're young, we're just starting out. And I think, I think like I've definitely gotten a lot of ideas or seeds planted from some of these experiences where I'm shown a vision or an idea that I know, like, you know, one of them is like, I love to cook and I love, I, I plan to at some point in the future, like, open a food truck and open a restaurant and or some type of higher restaurant slash club slash event space type thing. And do I, is that like my, do I want to like go to school to become a chef right now? No, like that's my focus is music. And I know that's like my main purpose Mm -hmm. on this planet. But that doesn't mean 10 years from now, once I've, you know, my finances are in a better place. I have the connections. I have some money to invest in that type of enterprise. I have a larger following. So when I did launch a a restaurant or food truck or something like that, I know that like I have people that will actually want to eat there and help promote it. And like, so I think it's, it's great to, it's just, it's easy to get caught up if you're having these thoughts and ideas and all these big grandiose visions, it's easy to get caught up in like the mental masturbation of like, Oh, I'm going to do all these things. And then, but Mm -hmm. in reality, like you're living in your parents' basement and you have $500 in your bank account and like you're working Mm -hmm. at Starbucks or whatever. It's like, Mm -hmm. you gotta like, you know, just, you gotta face where you're at and, you can put all these big ideas if they really feel aligned you can map them out it's like hey like i want to start doing this in my mid-30s or i want to like i want to get involved or maybe it's something different maybe it's like you have there's a cause you're really passionate about like a philanthropic cause and maybe Mm -hmm. maybe you know like you know that you want to be financially successful in your career now and make money. And so you can raise a family and support yourself and don't have to like fear for whatever, whatever might happen in the world in the next 
20, 30 years and know that you have some security. But then you know that like in your 40s, you want to have money and resources to put towards some cause that you can actually make a difference versus trying to bootstrap it with no money and no connections from, you know, from where you're at right now. So I think I'm very big on I'm very big on planning and vision and life mapping out your life, but also leaving room for life to Mm -hmm. to play out and living in the moment. It's like a delicate balance in between, I feel like, is where you're able to manifest and truly stay the most aligned to Mm -hmm. your true purpose and path. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Yeah, the um, the technology of what's called dream lining um, is very helpful mm. um, for me, and it it comes from a Tim Ferriss book, The Four Hour Work Week. And mm. essentially, if you were to, I mean, guys, Google it and, and get the official words from Tim. I mean, he, I'm, I'm probably going to butcher it, but essentially, if you were to think of what you would want to do, if you had endless resources. You had all the money in the world to do this. You had all the time in the world to do this. But if you could narrow down, delineate what you would want to do daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly, you can kind of find out who you are and what you're wanting to do in the planet. You know what I mean? Like, I remember Mm -hmm. when I first did my first iteration of dreamlining, and it changes and evolves, you know, as my life continues on, but... I remember thinking um, I want to play one festival a year. That was my yearly goal. I want to play one, at least one dope, you know, festival set as a DJ per year. Um, Monthly, I wanted to play one show, um, like an ecstatic bass, for example. Um, Weekly, I wanted to create in the studio with my bros, you know, and then daily I wanted to dance and or make music. So if I had enough money and resources to make all that stuff happen, um, essentially that would be my dream life, you know, and that'd be my dream line. Mm -hmm. And more or less by me having my imagination run wild and say, wow, if I had all the money in the world, I would just want to do these kind of very simple things, make music, dance, play shows, play festivals. I mean, that's not, doesn't really take a lot of money or a lot of resources. If anything, it's a lot of networking. But now I have an idea of what I actually want to do. Um, And I think anyone can take this kind of practice on and you might find, wow, I really love making art or I really love making film or I really love podcasting. I mean, I'd say of my dreamlining Today wouldn't definitely include podcasting. It'd be like record one podcast a week, um, you know, maybe teach one yoga class a month. Um, so it's definitely evolved and changes over time. But uh, I as well mm-hmm. do that very similar thing that you were just mentioning about thinking about further down the line in your life. Maybe what would you want to do then? Because certainly touring and DJing a lot is a young man sport. It, you know, it's going to take. Not to say old people can't do it. I'm sure there's a bunch of old DJs, but it's just easier to do mm-hmm. while you're younger. You know what I mean? And as well, I've always been taught the deepest yoga. I've always had the deepest, most transformative experiences with elders as my teacher. So, of course, that mm-hmm. puts in my mind, hey, maybe 
you know, I focus more on music, film, and podcast stuff now for the next 10 years, maybe even 20. But as I'm getting to that 50, 60, 70-year-old, yoga will be my main thing because you'll have the wisdom as an elder to then pass that on to, um, you know, the students or whoever shows up to the class. So I, I think it's worthwhile to, to think about, you know, what would I want to do now and what would I want to do later as well? So I'm glad you mentioned that for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to kind of get into this last branch of the conversation, um, just to talk about strictly your music, you know what I mean? Um, when you're creating a track, what is, what is the kind of process, you know, do you usually, do you hear something from another artist and you're like, man, I love that vibe. I want to like recreate that vibe. Or do you have like a, an image or a scene in your mind or maybe a psychedelic epiphany that you want to like put into audio form, like that type of thing. Like that's something I've done where it's like, wow, how can I record that psychedelic experience? I should make a song. Um, for yourself, what is the kind of process to uh, like make a new Watashi track? Man, yeah, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> for I'm me, g- I'm good at those. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Um, for me, I feel like every song, every project is different. Um, I do a lot of um, production work for other artists, which I'd like to get into. We can talk about in a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but for Watashi, for my own releases, it really, every song is different, honestly. Sometimes I, I'll just be like doing organizational stuff, going through sample packs come or presets in a synth or just mm-hmm. instruments or whatever and find a sound I really like. And I'll just be like, damn, this is cool, and start messing around like on the keyboard, on the piano, um, and come up with a really cool riff. And then five hours later, that's turned into, uh, you know, the the bones of a song. Sometimes I'll be strictly composing on the piano, just, just straight playing the piano, trying to come up with new melodies, chord progressions, ideas, mm-hmm. and come across something that I'm instantly like, wow, this needs to be a song. Sometimes it'll be an intention of like, I'll, you know, with Glow or other artists, singers I work with, other producers I work with, sometimes it'll, will either intentionally set a time for a session to write a specific type of song, or I'll have a song that's like an idea and then I'll bring them in to help write the lyrics for it and then record the vocals. Um, Sometimes it's a drum loop I find. Like it it really every song has been a different process for me. But I would say that the biggest thing for me is that like you said as far as um trying to translate a psychedelic experience um for me it's just life experience. All the experiences I've ever had, all the experiences I'm currently having um they all just lend themselves to my um my mind my creative pool of information that i can just pull from and channel um into inspiration for music and Mm -hmm. it's really not it's hard to put a tangible it's hard it's hard to grasp sometimes because Mm -hmm. i think there's two parts to it one part is that i'm just 
constantly learning about my craft. I'm constantly learning from people that are better than me, that have done this for longer than me, that have maybe um, specialized in different aspects of the production and music creation process. I'm always exploring with new sounds, learning about new I- instruments from different parts of the globe. I'm yeah. always, um, as a DJ, I'm always downloading new music to play. So mm-hmm. I'm always constantly getting inspired by new music that um, artists are putting out from anywhere from like kids on SoundCloud with 300 followers to like, you know, the Skrillexes of the world and mm-hmm. whoever the next hot artist at the time is that has some fresh new sound or new take on a classic sound that they've, you know, I'm just constantly trying to live my life from an artist's point of view and take in all the beauty, all the inspiration I can. And I just organically kind of, it just happens to turn into great music and sometimes it doesn't sometimes i sit down and create an idea and come back to it later and i'm like i don't know if i'd ever release this or it's not really my vibe and at that point that's cool like i just sit maybe 10 years from now i'll get inspired to open it up again or maybe i'll be having a session with the artist i'm producing for and just play some like demos and they'll hear that one and they'll i might not like the feel like it's my vibe for my project or or like it that much and they might it's happened a lot where i have a song that i'm like i don't or a demo that i'm like i i don't really feel it and mm-hmm. it, it's just like some weird idea i created and some artists will come in and like totally take it and run with it and be like yes this is going to be my next single like can you help <laughs> like can i use this like and then it's great it's a win-win Love you know that. so yeah that's fucking awesome man yeah, well, I'll definitely commend, you know, your uh, worksmanship or craftsmanship. I'm not sure what the word is because uh, you, you produce <laughs> yeah. a lot of music. You know, you, you sent Time Wheel like you had just made a story about this, too, that I saw you. You have literally 200 private mm-hmm. tracks on your SoundCloud. 200. Yeah, let me look right Hold on, let me look right now. Because, yeah, it was... I, <laughs> it was a lot. I, I, I opened my SoundCloud one day, and, like, the number is in front of me every time I open a track or open my SoundCloud account to, like, upload a new demo. Yeah, 232 tracks. And that's, that's like... Nuts, bro. I, I've gone through recently and deleted old tracks. So the oldest on there is probably from, like... I mean, I have a couple old releases from, like, 2017, but the bulk of it's probably from, like... 2021 onward so i've over the years i've i've created well over a thousand tracks so that's not those are just probably the most recent ones and the most um finished ones i'd say but yeah man it's just i live and breathe music yeah yeah i just love it and that's just what i do it's my calling it's my passion and yeah yeah i've definitely encountered a bunch of people in my life that i could tell are clearly musically talented but there's Mm. just something where they cannot complete you know like Mm. to come they can start on a project to start on a new project and start on a new project but never complete the one previous or complete very many at all you know like even myself i mean i feel like i once i had like 10 tracks i was like i need to drop this you know i've got too much music but you know you're sitting here with 230 unreleased tracks or whatever it's crazy bro 
<laughs> yeah. And let me say, like, you know, I struggled with that for the longest time and I still do simply because I'm like have so many projects in the works. Um, and, you know, most of those tracks are pretty much finished or like there's there's the the bones of them are there. They might just need vocals. They might just need mixing. They might just need one or two of the sections like polished up a little bit. Um, but they're mostly there. And I would say the biggest, the biggest breakthrough I had was really studying arrangement and learning how to arrange tracks and learning how to just quickly turn a loop into a full idea. Mm -hmm. And that's cohesive and still unique and not just like the same loop for three or four minutes. Right. Um, and yeah, every artist struggles with that at some point. Um, I've struggled with it for like the first 10 year, nine or 10 years of producing yeah. music. Mm -hmm. I would always struggle to finish music. I would constantly like rebrand my artist project and try new projects, and new sounds and like get really excited about one sound and one project for a year and released a couple tracks and they wouldn't really go anywhere. And then I'd switch to another genre and artist project and brand. And yeah, I was, I would run in circles. Um, and yeah, if I may, that brings me to another exciting thing I'm working on. Yeah. Um, I'm just launching my new production business called actualized audio. Um, nice. and I've been pretty much doing music full time for the last, year and a half two years transitioning mm -hmm. into it um working with a lot of independent artists i've produced songs for over 20 independent artists at this point nice. and i'm finally right now launching my public production business mm -hmm. in the past it's mostly been word of mouth um connections i've made just interning at studios and with our artists over the years in person at events but now I'm getting, I'm really opening up my services to the public and really looking for other artists that align with the same vision as me to help work with and create great music with. So if you're an independent artist that's interested in working with me, you can go to actualizedaudio.com. Damn, love it. Love the name too, Actualized. Thank you, man. I dig it, dig it. Cool, man. Well, just to close out the conversation, you know, how do people um, connect with you? What's your at? You know, what's your Spotify? Um, and um, yeah, we can also shout out this release coming on the 22nd of September, which is a Watashi track on Time Wheel featuring Akasha. And it's called Shiva. And Shiva, I feel like is one of my guides you know he's known as the adi yogi or the original yogi and uh, as a yoga practitioner really resonate with that and uh love shiva so very grateful that you decided to release that with time wheel but yeah, yeah. How, how do people um, find you brother um so on pretty much all social media you can find me at watashi sound and on spotify just type in watashi and my profile should come up Awesome. Let's go. All right, brother. Well, thank you so much for the conversation today. And uh, thank you guys for listening. We'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for having me. See you guys. Take care. Peace.